0: Hello, hello. Hello. Can you hear me okay?
1: I can, yes. What's up, Dylan? You done many Twitter spaces?
2: I've done only one before, and I'm still shocked that you can only
1: um, use them or be a speaker on them in mobile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Well, cool. We're happy to have you for your second space. it will be fun. Yeah. Um. Some of the... Uh, Others
2: on the Marco team are also, in theory, going to be joining. We'll see if they um, chime in. They're just awesome. installing they're just installing the Twitter app because uh, <laughs> normally they would use the web app, but anyways.
1: <laughs> we'll uh, point them out if they hop into the crowd and I'll add them as a speaker. What's up, Scott?
0: Hey, hey. What's up, everybody? Welcome to javascript jam live (laughs) oh man it'll be a good one one today (laughs) (laughs) oh yes marco is what we're talking about today with our dear friend uh dylan and uh, hello 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 um super excited anthony's uh face today is javascript jam So if you don't know who Anthony is and you're listening to this, just search on the Twitter spaces, the Twitters for Anthony Campello, AJC Web Dev, at AJC Web Dev. You'll find him there. Be sure to follow him and, you know, JavaScript Jam wouldn't mind follow as well. But let's give you some value first today. Let's have some fun together. Uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about Marco, as you can see from the title, with Dylan here. Um, But I just want to say this real quick, whether you're a beginner or whether you've been doing this for a very long time, web development, developing, that is, uh, it doesn't matter. We want to hear from everybody, right? So feel free to request to come up and um, you can ask questions, state facts, opinions, whatever. We love to hear everything. In fact, actually, when, when someone comes up, that's when we get the most value from the sessions together because people are engaged and having fun. It creates some great conversations. So feel free to come up and love to have you contribute. Be a part of this amazing group that we have every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And real quick here, just want to note that coming up in the near future, we are going to be going to some events. JavaScript Jam will be there. Anthony and I will be there. And one of those events is React to Miami. Don't know if you're going, but it's going to be a good time. I think there's a lot of great speakers there. And uh, we will be there live together. So looking forward to that. We have more things coming up in the future weeks to talk about with that as well. But enough of that. Let's talk about today with Marco, Marco with Dylan, Marco and Dylan (laughs)
2: together. Dylan is Dylan Marco. Is Marco.
0: <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> Pretty dang close. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. Um, by the way, real quick, I'll introduce myself, and then Anthony can introduce himself, and then Dylan, you can introduce yourself. But my name is Scott Steinlogge, and I'm the Technical Community Manager at Edgio.
1: Hello, hello. My name is Anthony Campolo. I am a developer advocate at Egeo, and I am super excited for this episode. I'm a big fan of Marco. Um, I see Michael in the audience. I guess someone else will probably be pulling up here. But um, Dylan, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what Marco is. Yeah, for sure. Hello. My name's Dylan. Um, I actually...
2: Discovered Marco while I was working um, at a an agency that essentially hammered out websites. So this was five years ago uh, now, or actually a bit more. And so I was hammering out websites, and you know, there's very various um, different requirements that came up. And ultimately, it kind of had me thinking about like what does or what should the web look like? What are its strengths and all that stuff? And how can I build performant websites ultimately? Um, And so I built some tools around that and ultimately discovered Marco, which is like super different from a lot of the other technologies um, at the time. And it was invented um, actually by Patrick Sealydem at eBay um, way back in 2012. And so it it kind of was aligning with um, some of the things that I was coming to believe are like the essentials of the web. Um, And so I looked at integrating it with my tools and ultimately, one thing led to another, and I ended up joining eBay. Um, so I've been at eBay for the past five years, and Marco came out of uh, basically a need that eBay had to um, maintain developer productivity and you know, maintain the um, site performance at the same time. Uh, so I could go into a little bit more about Marco's history, which I think is really interesting just because it is such an old um, framework, but has been like continually evolving. Um, and I think like if you've never heard of it, it's got a lot of things that you would kind of be surprised about considering when it was built. Um, I've also got uh, Michael Rawlings here in the chat. He's a part of the Marco core team. And we've got um, Ryan Turnquest and Luke um, as well, who have, uh, Ryan and Luke have actually joined us in the past Year. how long has it been i'm actually not 100 sure but anyway so they've been doing great work on marco as well so they'll probably chime in at some point um maybe they should introduce
1: themselves real quick as well yeah i said the speaker invites to all three of them
2: they might not have downloaded
1: twitter. the uh the twitter app so we'll
2: oh, see looks maybe, they, luke. maybe they can't speak okay we've got luke hey luke
3: hi uh i guess i could do an introduction hey, as well if you go ahead like. and introduce yourself yeah, yeah. I, I am, I'm actually a pretty recent yeah, college graduate. I kind of came straight to eBay through, um, through Marco uh, out of college. And I think I got really lucky because now I'm sort of obsessed with the developer experience that comes with um, front end. And uh, I think Marco is a pretty great solution for that. I'm, I'm sure we'll go into that more later.
1: A very yeah. sweet place to be right out of college. You're getting a very thorough web education. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely some fun stuff. I mean, I've been
2: working on Marco for five years now, and it's like there's constantly new and exciting things to be looking into beyond what we've, you know, what we're even working on right now. Like we have a vision way out into the future of what um, we think we can accomplish with it, and it's got a fairly to just because Marco is a language, Marco is a compiler, Marco. Is a bundler in some ways like it's a whole bunch of things. It's really trying to take on um, like the whole uh, like server to front end asset orchestration pipeline and rendering and and all of that. So there's like a whole bunch of different pieces to it, and pretty much every one of those pieces can be optimized in some way. Uh, so yeah, there's lots and lots of uh, exciting stuff there. Oh, we've got Ryan here now as well.
4: Hey, I'm Ryan Tranquist. <clears throat> Yeah, I just joined eBay in, I guess it was August, working on Marco. Uh, I'm a member of the solid JS core team as well, uh, where I was mostly working on the router. So that's kind of my background.
1: Yeah, and
2: Ryan's actually been working on a a thing that we released um, just recently, which is Marco Run, which is like our meta framework built on top of Marco, which is actually kind of funny. I mean, we had um, a meta framework before, but it was like somewhat limited. And the reality is like a lot of different, uh, because of the way Marco is set up, you don't really need a meta framework to work with it. And since it's like super performance focused as well, um, a lot of times people just want to have their bespoke setup that's tuned exactly the way that they want. And so they're not necessarily these meta framework tools, but anyways, we wanted to um, build a meta framework that actually met all of the needs that eBay had um, in terms of like performance and also just have this modern DX and all that stuff. So Ryan's been doing a really good job on that specific piece. Um, yeah, and we've got Michael here as well. If he's not able to be a speaker,
1: uh, I'll just, maybe he'll, I don't know, there's no chat in this, right? Like it's just, it's
0: just So you can,
1: you can tweet to the space uh, I, I actually just did so and then you can pin things on the Jumbotron so, right now we got the Marco run on gotcha. top. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so Michael has also been a part of the
2: Marco team for, I think, six years now. Um, so, he's done a lot of great stuff for Marco, too. Um, yeah, so should I just like dive right in and give people yeah, please a do. little bit about yeah. like what and why Marco? Obviously, I've talked a little bit about it.
1: Um, yeah, go as deep as you want. We got plenty of time. <laughs> cool.
2: So, yeah, basically, if you've never heard of Marco, probably the the first thing you're wondering is like, why does this thing exist? And then you're also probably thinking, like I already said, it's you know, it was created in 2012. So like what was the environment like there? How did it get to that point where it seemed like a framework needed to be developed? And there was a whole bunch of frameworks being developed at the time. So I want to dispel a little bit that it's just like just another framework that was tackling the exact same problems as you know, React or Angular or Vue or anything else that was um, coming out around the same time. So it actually kind of starts, obviously, with um, eBay's history because it was a framework that was designed to meet eBay's needs. But the specific thing with eBay is, you know, it's been around since 1995, right? Um, And obviously at that time, the experience was not built with any JavaScript in mind. And also, as an experience, it was something that scaled or needed to scale a lot right like it got a huge user base right away, it kind of blew up um, into popularity and so essentially the very first version of eBay called auctionWeb at the time was built with Perl, and pretty much you know within a couple of years they realized that it just wasn't going to scale and so they actually switched the entire um, backend rendering experience to be c++ so that could be faster and still we're talking like hardly any JavaScript um, at that point, so these are just experiences that are you know, we're sending HTML to the browser, um, and the whole experience is driven through like link clicks, navigation form submissions, and like that kind of thing. So it's pretty lightweight. And obviously, back then, it had to be in the 90s, um, or the users would just never be able to load the page, because I'm pretty sure you couldn't load modern pages in, <laughs> back in the dial-up days. Anyways, so uh, eventually, the C++ code base ended up being um, pretty hard to maintain, and so they switched to Java, which is like a happy medium, but it was still very much server rendered um, and a focus on performance and all that sort of stuff. But in 2012, there was a serious concern about what the developer experience was like, where you're essentially, you know, at this point, there's um, JavaScript in the browser for sure, but just for the interactive pieces. And so you'll bring in, you know, jQuery to enhance some portion of the experience. And then you've got the Java application doing the bulk of the rendering on the server, and this ends up being you know, relatively fast, even bringing in jQuery, but the reason it's fast is because, you know, one, Java's rendering is fast, two, you can leverage streaming and, and techniques like that, but also because since you're only sending the interactive pieces of JavaScript to the browser, you essentially don't have this modern problem where in a spa you end up sending the entire app to the browser, so the JavaScript scaled um, a lot better than many modern spa-like setups, um, and so basically, what happened was eBay was, you know, looking at things for like Node.js looks cool, single language across the stack, makes sense for rendering where you're going to be doing, you know, all of your all of your template code. You, you don't want to duplicate that with the browser, so this is like a clear DX issue. Um, but at the same time, it's like we can't compromise on performance. Like every millisecond matters and there's constant performance monitoring on all the pages and and so on and then the other thing is that ebay as an experience is actually a multi-page app where any of the pages that you go to can actually be an entirely separate application right maintained by an entirely separate team that's probably using like a similar tech stack but not necessarily some of the pages could be implemented even in a different um, language it was very uh it was very like limited restrictions on what you can do. You can do pretty much anything. But the main thing that you had to do is make sure that your experience was fast and you could deliver it uh, quickly. So um, with all that in mind, essentially uh, Patrick steele in 2012 was looking into, okay, how can we make a JavaScript framework that you know has really fast server-side rendering because that is like we're competing with the Java rendering. And how can we make it so that while maintaining a good like modern DX, we only send the necessary parts of JavaScript to the browser. And so those are the like key fundamentals of Marco. It's performance and developer experience, right? And so, like I said, Marco is is a language and that language is designed to be able to be easy to write like in terms of good DX. It's actually like starts as HTML, but extends HTML in a way that allows you to represent um, pretty much anything um, in a very terse format if you want. Um, but then also Marco takes that language and compiles it to completely different things depending on the environment we're deploying to. So like on the server side, and this is way back you know, in 2012, we're compiling the templates to be raw string on the server, like no VDOM overhead or any weirdness like that. Um, and there is actually like a benchmark Um, way back then as well, that was showing Marco as like, you know, hundreds of times faster than some of the other solutions. And, you know, at that time, there was also like the recommendation from Angular and stuff like that to do like this pre-rendering, which is like spinning up a whole browser. And, you know, that would be even more ridiculously slow than something is, something like a VDOM. So anyways, Marco optimized for, you know, string concatenation on the server and then um, eventually landed up landed on a VDOM implementation in the browser, although it was like loosely VDOM, but like two different compilation targets was like a necessary thing from the beginning. So Marco was a compiler um, from the beginning, which meant it can do some of the fun things that you might think of, like when you think of Svelte, like obviously it can do tricks that don't really make sense from something as simple of a language as JSX. So Marco kind of always had that. And then Marco also always had this feature of like streaming templates because it's, Critical when you have an experience that's consuming so many different data sources, and these data sources have varying amounts of latency. You don't want your application to be as slow as the lowest common denominator. Obviously, you know React has um, semi recently come out with streaming support, and other frameworks are, are picking that up as well. But that was like a key thing um, in Marco as well. And then the the other key thing is the opt in to which components get sent to the browser. You can think. Um, if you're familiar with Astro or even React server components to a degree, you have to essentially say um, these are the components that get sent to the browser, right? And in Marco, we wanted to make it so that like, that wasn't something you really had to think about. So in Marco, actually what happens is the same process under the hood is going on where it figures out you know, what server components, what browser components, how do we only send necessary code to the browser. But we do it automatically that's kind of been our ethos like how can we make it so that it feels like you're writing you know a quote-unquote modern style in a modern style framework without having to like make these concessions to the developer experience to achieve performance so that's that's really been our goal and that's essentially where barco is at today um you can think of it as a competitor to like astro um, and quick to a degree Um, but there's a whole bunch more stuff and things that we've been working on to uh, go well beyond this whole like what we call partial hydration, um, and progressive rendering and and these sorts of things. So maybe we'll talk a bit about that. Um, Do you have any questions or anything from
1: from anyone in the audience or us? Yes, that's a that's all good stuff. Um, We have Michael up here now. So we should have him introduce himself and dive back into the framework.
5: Yeah, I'll I'll just be quick. Yeah, I'm Michael Rawlings. I've been working uh, on Marco for, um, I guess like seven years now, Uh, six, seven years. Um, and yeah, I ended up uh, at eBay working on Marco, uh, just found it, um, as I was working, um, on some projects of my own, um, and, started contributing back to the framework and then ended up uh, working for eBay. So that's kind of my origin story. I've been around the framework for a while now.
1: Awesome. I guess I would be curious, my first question would be, do you know, and this may be history that kind of predates you, if eBay kind of considered other frameworks before deciding to build their own yeah, yeah. Was, oh, Michael can speak to it probably better
5: well yeah so um ar- around twenty twelve there was actually a um an initiative that was called the polyglot initiative um and so it wasn't just node that was being looked at um there was some scala um code being written and basically the the engineering leadership um kind of gave free reign to like and encouraged people to just try out new technologies to see what the the future of eBay should look like. And so what ended up winning um, that and kind of coming out on top was Node. Um, And originally DustJS was kind of the only existing framework that met eBay's needs to some degree from a performance perspective. And primarily that was because it's like the only templating language for, for Node prior to like 2020. Besides Marco, that supports streaming.
1: That's fine. I never even heard of Dust JS.
5: Um, yeah, the the original author kind of disappeared, um, and yeah, LinkedIn and eBay sort of took over uh, maintaining the project for a little bit. But both of them ended up moving on from Dust as well. So it's just kind of went up in dust or something.
2: Yeah. Sorry, dust... LinkedIn... It's um, <laughs> you know, just a templating language, though not a framework, um, so much. You know, it's more like if you if you're familiar with like Pug or what was Jade or like EJS or like those kinds of things. It's basically just a you know simple server side templating language that allowed you to do streaming, which was you know something that eBay realized pretty early that um, was going to be a requirement to 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 use
1: Node. What's up, Dan? slowly turn this into a solid team tree yeah hey, i know oh, I've, I've been a fan of marco from afar
6: i like how it makes me feel like a space alien a space <laughs> yeah like the the templating syntax it's very it's very unique uh, yeah yeah
1: well we talk about that actually so like what is the there's like a marco language right Yes. Um, And I think it's honestly one of my, it's probably my favorite thing
2: about the whole project is this language and it's very opinionated and it's also um, something that I think takes developers off guard um, when they first see it, obviously like space alien. Um, But the the really interesting thing about it is I feel like there's been essentially zero competition in the component-based declarative like UI framework authoring experience, like what does it look like to, in a nice way, author these declarative things without having to put a whole bunch of imperative glue um, in between. And so, you know, we've been trying to look at what that means. Um, and also, the, like a big reason for us to do that is, is kind of twofold. One, we want to make sure that um, everything you can do in the language is composable. Like you can, you know, take our... Primitive language syntaxes and build complex things on top of them. Um, but then we also want to make sure that everything is super optimizable. And so like we want to be able to differentiate between, you know, this is JavaScript where something crazy can happen in between, and this is Marco code where we have known constraints, and so we can optimize and, you know do dead code elimination and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so. Marco, like as a language, like what does it kind of look like? It is, you start with HTML, right? So you start with HTML, um, you can, in most cases, take valid HTML code, put it in a Marco document, and it just kind of works. But Marco actually extends HTML instead of just acting, um, or like adding syntax to generate HTML. Um, So like if you think of JSX or something like that, you know, it gives you... Um, escape hatches where you can interpolate in expressions that return more JSX. Um, And so all of the like building up of the conceptual HTML happens in JavaScript kind of in this like imperative world. Unless you're looking at something like solid which takes a little bit more control over that. And so in solid you have the control flow components but Marco's had control flow components like from the beginning because we're trying to understand that entire um, picture. And we don't think control flow components are the only place where you know this kind of like having it baked into the language can can help us out, and actually, real quick, since we have the the solid team here, I think' it's, this is kind of an interesting one because I know it's we were seeing some Twitter threads um, about you, you know solid and uh, the show tag not narrowing the conditions right so in Marco everything is is like the show tag kind of um, but there's a primitive for. Um, like bodies, Can you explain
1: what these components are and kind of for people yeah, so, who've never used these things before? Right,
2: right, So So basically, Marco has built-in tags for control flow, which is like if statements and um, looping logic.
1: And that's and so, similar to
2: Svelte also has this. Yeah, but so in Svelte, you know, they essentially tack on a language to HTML, right? Like you've got the double, or you've got the curly, and then you've got the hashtag if, right? Like it's it's a templating language on top of HTML, right? In Marco, it's actually, there is a tag that is called if, and you can pass it a condition, and it conditionally renders its body, right? But it's all a part of the Marco syntax, and you can actually go and build your own if tag that does you know, some slightly different behavior. Maybe you wanted to have an if tag that um, was animated, right? You could build a tag in user land with the exact same syntax as our core if tag and have it be animated. The same applies to our for loops. That syntax, like you can use the exact same syntax, create your animated for tag, and all the end user of your component has to do is swap out their for tags with your animated for tags. Maybe it's a paginated for tag or whatever, but all of this stuff can be composed into different things that still leverage the same Marco language, which makes refactoring a lot easier, Um, which is actually one of my pain points with JSX. In that like if you want to have a simple um, if statement, for example, in your template, like a simple conditional section that's rendered, you might throw in a, you know a conditional expression or you know the ampersand, ampersand, whatever, like you're just going to do a check and it's all going to be in the JavaScript. But now say you take that same requirement of conditionally showing something and add the animation requirement that I mentioned. Well now you have to operate in components. So you actually have to go And the person that wants to adopt that has to go in and change their code away from JavaScript syntax into the template syntax in order to, you know, abstract away that sort of behavior, if that makes sense. And Solid, you know, has the same composition model, at least in terms of the control flow. Um, Does that answer the question of,
1: like, what these control flows are? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So what was your question for the Solid team?
2: Yeah. So this is more of just, like, a little tiny friendly jab. Um, But so one of the benefits of having this be a language and Marco's semantics being that the body content doesn't evaluate until after the child says that it wants it, is we can know that it's impossible for like stuff to change out from underneath you. Um, So in TypeScript, in Solid, if you're using a show tag and you narrow something, so you're like, show this when the user is defined or something like that. Um, Well, inside the body, because Solid uses render props or not render props, I guess it's like a function body thing, which is essentially render props. TypeScript will not know if that user object has changed by the time that function runs. There's no way that TypeScript could have that guarantee, right, but in the Marco language, we do have that guarantee. And so with the Marco TypeScript support that we just put out, like that narrowing actually does just work. And it doesn't matter um, you know, what kind of narrowing you're doing, it's just like, Marco knows that the language works in a way that that narrowing is valid. And so we essentially tell TypeScript, hey, it's, that's valid, so can, you can output that. And so there's a few things like this. Um, another one is, well, like tag references. So, you know, like use ref and stuff like that. Marco has a s- explicit syntax for that as well. And that syntax actually allows for hoisting. And that's actually pretty powerful because often when you have something like a reference, you want to get a reference to some element and then use it somewhere else, right? And so what you would do in React or Solid or whatever is essentially put a let tag, or sorry, not a let tag, a let statement at the beginning of your component function. And that would say like, okay, I've got this ref. And then you have to type what that ref is gonna be, even though it's only used in one place, like in a perfect world, TypeScript could infer what the type of that ref is. But because Marco you know, has a special syntax for that and allows voicing all that stuff, you can basically get a ref to a div or you know any element or whatever, and Marco's gonna know exactly what type that is and you're gonna get the right type IntelliSense for it as well, which is pretty nice. So there's a few places in the language where because we're able to represent things in a way that is within our language that we have control over, that we can actually make the completions better, we can make the compiled output um, better, and in this case, you know, we can even make the DX better. It's more composable. You don't have to like say, okay, I've got, essentially this code for the ref is in two places. It's in the top of my function and it's down um, in my template logic as well. Instead, you could have it in one place where you probably wanted it, right? So it makes refactoring easier. And there's a whole bunch of things that we're thinking about like that that go into the language design. Um, and so one thing to point out is like, when you first see Marco's syntax, again, think of it as HTML with, as if HTML and JavaScript were built together at the same time and with the goal being of building components. And so what we've done is essentially added additional features to HTML. And that might sound limiting at first, but actually we've added pretty much every feature you could possibly need. Um, and it's been battle-tested as well at this point. So one of the things that's actually quite nice is any attribute value It's just a JavaScript expression. Like that's what you're passing at the end of the day to these tags, as JavaScript expressions. Why can't your, the attributes that you pass just be JavaScript expressions? Um, And so like you don't have to wrap everything in curlies or anything like that. We're worrying about like weird escapes for single quotes or anything strange. Um, It just kind of works. The attributes in Marco templates are JavaScript expressions, which is actually quite nice. And then there's also like shorthands for methods. It just follows the JavaScript shorthand method syntax. There's also, um, like I mentioned, ways for tags to provide variables, which is very similar to hooks, ways for tags to inject variables into the body, which is similar to render props. Um, but like these things are a core part of the language because we know you need them and we know we can optimize them better and provide better DX around those types of uh, patterns. So yeah, and it's, it's also designed to be like a, a very incremental Thing as well, uh, especially if you're coming from HTML. It's a little bit trickier if you're coming from JSX,
1: wondering what's going on. But <laughs> yeah, this is this is good actually because um, Dev had a question, and I wanted to ask um, some of the newer members of the Marco team. Um, what's it been like getting kind of spun up with Marco, and has it been challenging, or has it made sense coming from your other JavaScript experience, or like what's the learning curve been like?
3: I think the learning curve for Marco is actually really shallow. Especially, um, well, right now we're on uh, everything coming out is Marco Five. Uh, Marco Five is pretty similar to Svelte, I would say, kind of, uh, because you have separate classes. Um, but Marco Six, I think, is going to be huge because the developer experience is much, uh, much smaller learning curve. I think if you already know HTML and JavaScript, and then knowledge of React will also be really helpful. Uh, as someone who came in as a React developer and a vanilla JavaScript developer, I, it was less than a week before I, I feel like I knew most of the features of Marco. So I think it was pretty easy to come in.
2: Yeah, and a lot of the power features, like similar to React hooks, like you might not necessarily understand you know, how a hook is implemented, but you know how to go and consume a hook. That API is pretty easy. Um, and it's kind of the same is true with Marco's tag variable syntax, like basically a tag can do anything in Marco. It can give you variables, it can provide variables to its body, it can um, you know, render content, like all of these things, um, but it can all be abstracted. So it's very easy, especially for new developers who are more likely to consume these complex components to just throw them into their template and it just kind of makes sense, right? They don't have to worry about things like hook rules or anything like that that could trip them up, um, which in my view is like an abstraction leak. But the other thing is, like, what I guess specifically talking about hooks is you know hooks cannot render DOM. And I think that is a pretty strange limitation. But I mean, I get obviously why React did it. But in Marco's case, it, like, everything is a tag. It can render DOM or it cannot render DOM, which means you can create hooks that compose different types of behavior. Like you can create a tag that tells you, without having to pass around refs or doing anything weird, if a current section of the dom is in the viewport like things like that so things that are actually context like dom position aware you can do with marco's equivalent of hooks so there's just superpowers like that that come out as well that make,
5: and that's, make it easier. that's not to say that those kind of things can't be represented by hooks because a, a hook in react could return like a, a jsx element that then you place in your jsx tree at a specific location so like it I don't know that there's anything that like can't be represented by other frameworks, but I, I do think that a lot of these cases, it's it's just less code and I think easier to to understand with the syntax that we have with Marco.
2: Yeah, that's definitely a good point. Like all of this stuff, like you know, you can build all of this with vanilla JS as well. Like, right? It's it's more talking about the developer experience. Part of it, like sure, you could have that hook that gives you a reference to something that you can put in the DOM, but wouldn't it be nicer if you just didn't have to do that at all or think about it at all? And that is the case with the with Marcos tags API. Um, and yeah, so th- there's just a lot of things like that where you know you're not having to duplicate your where things are defined in multiple places or like whenever you're refactoring. One of the key things um, React hooks when they announced that they highlighted was you want to make sure that you're touching as few places as possible. And since in Marco, everything can be like co-located right next to the implementation or the usage of the tag, it's very easy to do that kind of co-location. There's no arbitrary rule that says, okay, hooks have to go up here and they potentially have to be in this order and they can't be you know, um, rendered conditionally and like all that sort of stuff doesn't matter. You can put a hook anywhere in your Marco template, inside a div, like it doesn't matter. Um, inside an if statement, all that stuff is, it's perfectly valid. So it's like, yeah, obviously you know, the React um, solution for how do you conditionally render a hook? Well, you have to basically refactor your code and split it out into another component. In Marco, you just put another piece of state at that location. Like it's a one-line change versus uh, premature refactoring. And so those are the kinds of places where you really see a win with, uh, with you know, the Marco language.
5: Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll chime in and say um, I saw a tweet from Dan. I, I don't know if it was uh, Dan Abramov earlier this week or maybe it was last week about um, like the the beauty in something that's able to create a temporary mess. And he was specifically talking about React and Tailwind. Um, but I, I think there's an aspect of that to to Marco's language in that like you can you could write an entire application in a single Marco file. There's never a point where you're forced to like split things out into components so that you can, um, you know, either for performance reasons to like control what updates or because of hook rules or, or anything like that. Like you can represent your entire application in a single Marco file. Now, should you know that would be a mess. Um, but I think there is something nice uh to being able to to like hack in a, a single file um, and then split things out uh according to you know your mental model of the application and not be um, constrained and maybe this maybe is mental like, model
1: needs to be in a single file.
5: Yeah. And like Yeah, I mean from my
2: perspective it's always like <laughs> well, I mean it could be because it's it's like why do you have to go into thinking about how I'm going to refactor things into multiple components when you don't even yet know how your application is going to be broken into components or what duplication exists in your application and stuff like that? So usually when I look at refactoring and, and in terms of evaluating how good the refactoring experience is in the Marco language, it's am I like am I duplicating stuff? Okay, well then you know that should be refactored so that the duplication doesn't happen. Um, or is the file just getting un- like unusably large, right? Like, is this just too much? Do I need to, is there too much cognitive load in this file? So that's another valid reason to split out. But those are like the two main valid reasons. If you're doing something and it's a small component and your framework forces you to extract it out into another component or forces you to move around a whole bunch of code to be able to do your next step,
1: that's where I feel like, um, you know, the framework is really letting you down through factoring. So Ryan coming up here to achieve solid Marco parody. Also former Marco teammate. I think, I think he, us he still has
6: Marco in his in his Twitter bio. He, he's we, he's we still consider him core team. Nice, nice.
1: Yeah, his connecting thing is is spinning and spinning and spinning. We had a, another question from the the audience um, about state, and this is probably good that. Ryan's coming up as well. They said, after briefly looking at how to create state in Marco, it seems like it's very similar to React. Not sure about that. In essence, components re-render when you change state. Seeing the collab between Solid and Marco is their plan to make DOM updates more fine-grained. I would also add on to that. When Signals.
5: Yeah. Um, So Marco 5 is VDOM-driven. We do have... a a preview of the the APIs that are coming to Marco 6 um, in a tags API preview package that you can install and it basically gives you access to all these like let tag, tag, const tag and a lot of these that um, Dylan has mentioned. Um, And in some ways, uh, that's that's kind of like a a stepping stone uh, to where we're going and it also looks, I think in many ways, like what React is doing with React for Git because it, it puts like fine-grained execution almost on top of um, the VDOM model. But with Marco 06, we are dropping the VDOM and and going fully to, um, they're, they're not signals. Um, they, they, I mean, they, they conceptually are and they're using a propagation uh, mechanism that in some ways is similar to what MobX has, um, but it's almost more so just like functions calling other functions, um, in, in a sense. The the Marco compiler compiles to these like signal functions um, that basically ensure that things run in the same, in, in the right order um so that you know you don't see any like glitches or anything as as data propagates throughout the tree but it it is fine grained and it is basically like when you update a value it calls a function which passes like any computations to like the next thing down the line and ultimately directly updates a dom node so like that is coming soon
2: yeah it, it's actually this is one of those things where it's like almost better to be able to show the code because this signal-like implementation is very different than anything I've ever seen in any other framework because it's entirely compiled. So basically the Marco compiler goes and looks at your code, figures out the dependency graph of the code um, in terms of like expression execution and outputs a whole bunch of functions that are all at the root level, like basically detangles your code so that we can call these functions in the correct order that follows you know, the way you would typically think of signals. But one of the big reasons this is important to us, I mean, one, it's you know, pretty fast, but the, the big thing is that since we've like, essentially untangled your code, um, so that it actually is rep, like if you have a text node that gets changed by some you know, props to the component changing, there's a fine line, like individual functions that get called in between, and all of those functions are hoisted um, the key there, since they're hoisted and detangled, we can actually dead code eliminate all the ones that can never change. And so this is what one of the big things that differentiates Marco from, or Marco Six from Quick, is that um, essentially there is no concept of okay, this template is going to re-render, so we have got to download that whole template. Um, obviously, Quick breaks things down at the template level, so it's not like you download one template, you don't need all of them. But it still does download the entire um, individual template that's re-rendering. In Marco Six, that's not the case at all because Marco goes in with a compiler and detangles your entire template into a whole bunch of independent little functions that can be called um, in the same order that you would they would have been executed if it was like a signals runtime. Um, so it's a really key part of our um, our hydration and bundling strategy as well. So instead of it being like it is now, where it's partial hydration sort of automatic islands architecture. It's more that if you have some code that directly goes and updates, or some code, some state changes, and that you know causes three expressions to run, that ultimately changes like two DOM nodes. Marco six only bundles functions that basically do those things and not the rest of your template. And so it's pretty huge um, in terms of the savings you can get from that. And it means if you've got you know, large static portions of your app, they're much more easily able to stay server only um, versus the islands architecture where you add state or a component at some arbitrary height. And now like the majority of your application is sent to the browser.
0: So. So I really quickly want to say, (laughs) Ryan has, come in and out of the room like four times and try to come up on stage like at least three times and i don't know what <laughs> the problem is Yeah, this,
1: for some reason it's it keeps saying connecting and it's yeah, not yeah i told him to circle to to just join as a listener and then i'll send him an invite but um he's I think, having kind some trouble track. with with
5: spaces yeah, yeah all i right, so because i right just right downloaded now. the app <laughs> and then was Having like permission issues because I hadn't granted the app permission to access it. Hey, he, he's
1: been on a space with us before. Oh,
5: okay. yeah, I don't know then.
1: Anyway, continue on with the, the conversation. Yeah, something else, still Um. Yeah, so I mean, just going into that um, a little
2: bit, like, I think comparing Marco 6 to Quick is, um, you know, one of the more interesting comparisons just because Quick is doing a lot of awesome stuff in terms of you know, resumability and um, the code splitting and all that sort of stuff. So I I mentioned, you know, sort of what Marco 6's code splitting model is in terms of breaking up every one of your templates into a bunch of different functions automatically. Like you don't have to go in and, you know, add dollar signs anywhere or anything like that. Marco just knows where all these expressions are. Um, But the other thing that's actually, I think quite nice is Marco 6 also knows which expressions are needed in the browser and it's actually resumable uh, just as uh, Quick is. And so essentially what happens in Marco 6 is if you have some expression that you calculate during the rendering and then you have some effect or an event handler or something that needs to be in the browser that is going to read that expression, the Marco 6 compiler knows about that and serializes just those pieces to be sent to the browser. Whereas if you look at something like Astro or Quick. Typically, the way that the serialization is going to work, and you know, there are optimizations they can do, and they do do, um, is they'll look at it from a component level. They'll be like, this component could re-render, and so we'll need to serialize its input, right? And so, Marco Six actually takes it to the like next level, and it only serializes data that is used by functions, which definitely need to be in the browser, which are the effects and the event handlers. And so, that's another like all of this um, fine-grained compiler-driven signal stuff, all ties into our resumability and code splitting story as well. So I think it's quite unique in that aspect. And we've done, you know, some benchmarks. We built, like, a Hacker News demo of it and all that stuff, and it's, like, all super promising. It's just there's so much, um, so many aspects of it. Like, we have to have, uh, you know, essentially a super good serializer. We have to have a compiler that's smart enough to break all this stuff up, and obviously we're working on the language and the APIs and all that stuff. So it's like there's so many pieces to it that it's obviously taken us quite a while um, to get it out. And we'd hoped that it would already be out at this point. And now we're looking at potentially June for um, a beta of it. But it's 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 really quite um, crazy what it can accomplish in the in the parts where it does work now compared to pretty much anything else, including something like Quick. So. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like tricky until you can see the numbers, but hopefully I've done a little bit of, uh, hopefully that that explanation makes sense. And if anyone did have specific questions on like how any of it works, we'd be happy to answer that too.
3: I think a really powerful part of this dead cone elimination that Dylan touched on, but I think is worth reiterating, um, is that if you have a component that maybe has dynamic uh, attributes and sometimes doesn't, um, then it only ships shifts its JavaScript on the times when it has dynamic attributes. So maybe you have like a set of comment components and only the ones that were posted by you are editable. Um, now all the comments by everyone else will be shipped as vanilla raw HTML. And then yours will have JavaScript embedded with them uh, only. And that that's a uh, much more performant.
2: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a whole bunch of work going into into Marco six and this like DX effort we've had in in the new Marco uh, meta framework and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I'm wondering what else is
1: worth uh, it's worth bringing up. Um, um, we should kind of talk about like Marco six in general because um I know that's something that's been a long time in the making. So what's going to be for like people who've never used Marco at all, like why is that something that they should care about? Yeah. So the big thing with Marco six is obviously,
2: or at least the hard part is really these, these optimizations that we've been talking about, like super aggressive code splitting. Like we're talking, you know, our hacker news example, it was like one kilobyte for the entire um, final bundle, right. For the hacker news, like comment thing. And it's like, In some ways, that's still a huge amount more JavaScript than is actually needed if you just inline it. So there's certainly room to improve, but compared to every other framework, like as a baseline, you know, they're like three, four, five, or more times higher, and that's the good ones, right? So for building these really small JavaScript footprint um, applications, that's where Marco is going to shine all the way down, obviously, to zero JavaScript, Um, but really like incremental um, JavaScript. And so one of the places that um, actually, has been causing us to put a bunch of effort into Marco Six's this whole microfrontends setup that we have at eBay. So actually, you know, I mentioned the individual pages at eBay are in many cases developed by entirely different teams with entirely different um, dependencies and like all that sort of stuff. But it's their responsibility to make sure. That their app and the experience that they ship is as small and lightweight as possible. So obviously, you know, it's it's useful for that um, level, and also useful, you know, in, in general, any time you have sort of a high content um, or a high amount of content versus interactivity on your site. So it's useful for that for sure. But the other thing is that the ABA experience experiences it actually goes one step beyond that. There are actually um, on many pages embedded experiences. So like a recommended item. Experience might be brought in, or a um, like get help experience, like dialogue and all that stuff might be brought in, and those are also um, managed by independent teams. And so it's very micro front in that way. But our micro front end setup is not entirely client based, like you know, like module federation or something like that. It's actually all driven from HTML. The um, base of the contract is I'm going to include this experience. It's a lot like an iframe, sort of. You say, give me this partial HTML and I'll inject it into the page either as I'm server rendering or in the client to make sure that the asset uh, execution order makes sense and all that stuff, but you have full access to the document. So these um, embedded applications also impact the uh, performance and need to be small. And so, you know, being able to deliver one of these embedded experiences with, you know, 20 kilobytes of JavaScript is is pretty important if you're trying to not impact some of the biggest um pages at eBay. So like from the micro front-end's perspective, from this multi-page app perspective, and really from the perspective of just sending as little JavaScript as possible. And that includes the amount of serialized JavaScript. Um, that's where Marco is really going to shine, um, at least in terms of like performance. And my view is like, I wish everyone could experience the Marco tags API and the like refactoring wins and the developer experience of that. I think that's like huge and important as well. But certainly, like we're trying to meet this performance goal and then hope that once you uh, take the step, to say, I'm, you know, I need this kind of performance, you're delighted by the developer experience as well. So this is kind of a two-pronged thing, but the initial reaction people typically have to the Marco uh, syntax is, this is not JSX, and or this is not quite HTML. <laughs> and so that learning curve, um, at least initially, doesn't, I think, draw people in uh, although I do I, I've yet to hear of someone who's used it seriously and was like now this you know I don't like that this makes refactoring easier <laughs> so I don't know if uh Michael or anyone else on the marker team had something to add to that
1: curious also-
2: I'm curious um like of people here like what frameworks everyone is is using because you know one of the things so only Angular devs here. Only Angular devs, okay well from an Angular dev perspective, um I, I don't know how much you're caring about the performance of things or I mean you also have your <laughs> That's own probably more so
1: <laughs> React devs is our our audience. I but, see um, okay. Actually got a lot of solid people here. But uh, I know we actually do have a <laughs> handful yeah, of Angular devs here, right? But um, yeah, I I first came to Marco having kind of played around a little bit with all the frameworks, and I found it to be very unique and different. But I I also agree that it really didn't have a super difficult learning curve. Like I felt like I picked it up pretty quickly, and like all the syntax again like, intuitively made a lot of sense and. Uh, like, the docs were pretty thorough. So, yeah, I found that it, like, it's, it's a very heady framework when you talk about how it works under the hood, but actually using it is not that overwhelming. Right. And that's kind of our goal, like I said, with,
2: you know, the, the language design and all that stuff is
6: to make it so that, like, the hard
2: parts can be abstracted from you. Um, and also, just by its nature, like, design of it is, let's take HTML and JavaScript and make a declarative language that allows you to represent components that brings them together. Right. So it's like, there's obviously a lot of our shorthands are inspired by JavaScript and, you know, a lot of the declarative stuff is inspired by HTML. So it's like, once you, if you're familiar with both of them, there's just a few things that you have to add like, Oh, I can use this JavaScript like syntax as an attribute or, you know, uh, JavaScript variables can come after this character in the, after the tag, and so you know, there's like basically, there's like probably six or so different syntaxes that are unique to Marco that you need to learn. But then beyond that, it's just, you have JavaScript embedded in some places and you have HTML embedded in some places. So the learning curve isn't actually
1: too crazy from that front. Cool, Um, I'd actually kind of be curious to, um, kind of take a a sidestep and ask like we got you know four people from the team up here how is the team kind of organized like what are duties and responsibilities like are some people focused more on outreach and more on engineering or does everyone do a little bit of everything like how does that work i can probably speak to that um so mostly
2: like everyone here is focused on the engineering aspect of it but um as far as like who's doing sort of what kind of engineering. It's Michael and I have obviously been um, at NBA the longest and are working on the, the big things. Mar- Michael's primarily working on Marco 6, and I've been working on a lot of the tooling stuff like TypeScript support. And um, we all are obviously chiming in and working with each other on the on the various different uh, things. Um, and so pretty soon here, like since I just wrapped up TypeScript support, we're all going to be um, trying to get Marco 6 across the finish line as quickly as we can, essentially. Um, But so another thing is like, besides Marco, we're a a part of the web foundations team at eBay, which is basically responsible for a whole bunch of um, internal uh, guidance and infrastructure stuff around like the web front end um, and guidance and all that sort of thing. So we have to, you know, basically we're trying to figure out what is the best developer experience at eBay that we can achieve, obviously Marco it's a big part of that, but there's other things that we look into too, which is why you'll see like, you know, different types of tooling come out in the Marco organization, um, as well. Yeah. So we, we definitely don't have a full time or anyone really working on uh, developer like evangelizing or anything sort of like that. We just, you know, take it up ourselves. It's something that we want to um, look into. Eventually we don't even have a designer. A lot of that stuff has been by, um, Michael. And so it is something that we're, um, hoping to get more support on. Um, so yeah, we hope that we're going to be able to do, uh, more outreach and all that soon. But the reality is like right now, we're just so focused on trying to get Marco six out. And then once it's out and we're happy with it, um, you know, we're going to be sort of making the rounds and trying to, to, to make Marco a little less obscure, but at the same time, in some ways it's fine if it's obscure because, you know, we at least have one giant customer that is eBay and we're trying to meet their needs as well. But like this technology is so cool that we just want everyone to be able to, to, you know, at least play with it as well. Is there anything you'd add, Michael?
5: I think that's mostly it. Yeah.
7: I had a question about routing. Um, the, it, when when you have the Marco system, which is like so compiler driven, uh, similar to Svelte, um, how does that affect routing uh, compared to let's say like like a like a Remix, uh, like a file system routing kind of like you have like you know React Router kind of and the Remix is sort of like React Router with with some server side stuff. How how, how would how would uh, how would the routing system compare? I'm, I'm sort of like. I don't really know a lot about it. I'm really interested to know more about
2: how routing works and stuff. Yeah, that's that. that's a, that's actually a really good question, and it's one of the things that I think people first come into Marco and they're like, you know, at least up until recently, there isn't an official router. Like, how do you guys not have an official router? And that's extremely confusing to people. But the reason for it is that typically Marco applications are designed to be multi-page apps that are rendered on the server. So you bring in, you know, Express, you bring in Fastify whatever server-side rendering technology you want to use. And Marco is the one that ensures like all the assets are hooked up properly. So the developer experience typically is you just like import a Marco um, template into whatever type of backend project, like node server you have, and you just render it. And Marco figures out what assets need to get sent to the browser, figures out how to serialize the components, hooks it all up. Like you don't have to think about any of that side of things. Um, And so that meant, you know, normally you would just use like Express's routing system or Fastify's routing system or something like that, um, with the exception being the the new tool we put out. And we did have um, a different tool before that as well, a few iterations of it. But we do have a, a tool now that's sort of similar to Remix's file system-based uh, routing, except that um, it, it does have uh, some, some unique things as well. Ryan TurnQuest, was actually the one who was Doing most of the work on that front, he could talk a little bit about it and maybe go into um, speak more to that.
4: Yeah, so we were, you know, trying to we're trying to make something that we can use both in eBay and for the greater like open source world. And so, yeah, part of that effort was this uh, Marco Run, which is basically our our meta framework if you want to call it that. And so you know we're trying to like uh, you know reach parity, I guess with a lot of other tools that you know remix, solid start, uh, next, that kind of stuff. Um, so it seemed like file system based routing was like uh, you know something that people well, p- people either love or hate, um, but it seems like it's winning out. It. So part of the uh, this this market marker run thing, another part of it was like kind of moving to ve as our uh, our bundling system and so yeah we basically you know kind of like came up with our schema for how we represent our file system routes and uh, through this deep plugin um, that is like the majority of the Marco run project uh, we're, we're generating <clears throat> we're, we're providing routing solution for you um, and and it's kind of interesting because since we're like a multi-page application uh first framework and we have a compiler and all this um and we're like performance oriented uh what we're doing for routing is you know looking at your your pages and generating a a, a compiled try basically so like all the routing is compiled into a bunch of if statements that, that uh, like renders the correct page for you. So that's kind of like a, uh, an interesting thing that I haven't really seen uh, elsewhere. And I think it's gonna lead to like pretty good performance for uh, marker run applications.
7: That's cool. I'll try to not to take this too far off base here, off tangent, but um, similar to like, as opposed to like, a uh, uh, you compared it to ExpressFestify. Uh, for a server-based system for routing, where you hit a route and it gives you the data and you go there with the link. Uh, 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 we're, comparing, we're, comparing, uh, we're comparing runtimes the other day, uh, me and uh, I was talking to uh, Kelsey, and we were talking about WASM, how it replaced uh, Docker, the runtime. And it's like, it is very similar to what you're saying, it's like, it's already compiled, it's just a binary file. It's already all, all the possibilities are already there. It's not like you can come up with a runtime possibility, like oh, we have a new look at this new runtime possibility, no, or, or nothing like that. It's not calling; it's, just, it's already compiled. You hit one of the possibilities, and it's going to spit back some kind of something return to you. So, sounds very similar. Okay, so you, yeah. you compile—you compile all the all the possibilities, uh, pre 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 compile all the possibilities, and you, you get one of the options based on based on yeah. That.
2: Te- Technically, there is also like a sister project to Marco that was developed when Marco was, which is called Lasso. It's actually a uh, runtime-based JavaScript bundler, so it bundles things on the fly. And that was built because you know when Marco came out, Webpack had barely started, so we we're looking at Browserify and like all that stuff, and basically didn't cut it. So a bundler had to be developed alongside this as well. But ignoring the bundler aspect of it, which is largely um, at least the Marco parts of figuring out what modules to send to the browser um, is all in the Marco compiler. The, the the experience of authoring a Marco app is very similar to the experience of you know just using Express with one of the view engines they have, like EJs or Pug or something like that, right? Where you just import a view template and render it and it gives you an HTML string back. The big difference is that you can actually add interactivity in a declarative way. To those templates, and Marco just figures out what
7: assets need to go to the browser to make that happen. That's cool. You, you lost me a little bit, but I can I can do some more research. Maybe hit you up on, on, offline or not offline today, sure. but like off of this line. Uh, I uh, was curious about how does the progressive. Not to put you on the spot here. You can you know, if you don't want to answer the question, it's fine. Or if it's not answerable. But how does how does the <sighs> So I'm I'm sorry I did too much too much uh, preamble I lost my, my no thoughts. problem <laughs> yeah yeah uh, how,
2: how does how does how does progressive enhancement fit into the picture yeah progressive enhancement I mean it it's actually a lot easier to do progressive enhancement when your starting point is HTML right like we're sending HTML over the wire you're authoring an HTML you're not trying to build these. Um, uh, you know, HTML replacement mechanisms and all that stuff. So generally, we lean on HTML and recommend using the primitives and progressively enhancing stuff where it's possible. And plus, since Marco, you know, you opted hey, where the JavaScript is.
0: Used.
2: Since since we opted, uh, oh, we got Ryan. Hey, Ryan. It says speaker. <laughs>
5: Can you speak? Uh, so okay. I didn't
6: mean to interrupt the technical answer. I've been trying to connect for like twenty minutes. Twitter didn't let me. I restarted. Restarted. <laughs> I just reinstalled Twitter from scratch. Um, so. There you Here go. I am. So, sorry, continue, Dylan.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, um, you know, essentially since you're the model in your mind is adding JavaScript to an existing, you know, experience, it, it kind of lends itself well to um, progressive enhancement, all like from zero JavaScript and, and, and above. And also we are thinking of accessibility patterns as we go and how can you represent things um, in an accessible way. Like one of the things... Um, And I think it's kind of funny is React didn't have a stable way to get an ID um, that server rendered for like ever, right? Like that was something that always had to be built into the meta framework. But Marco's always had a way to do that because getting a stable ID to be able to be used with, you know, ARIA controls and stuff like that was something that we hit right away. So it's like, you know, we are thinking about um, things uh, from an accessibility standpoint as well, like from the language, but also we're a part or one of the members of our team as a part of the accessibility initiative at eBay as well. So it's definitely something we have on our minds and accessibility and progressive enhancement often uh, go together and not always, but um, yeah, so it's definitely something. I'll
5: I'll also say, I mean, there's only so much that a framework can do for you on the progressive um, enhancement uh, piece. So I I think Remix has done a, a really good job at the meta framework level. And, um, some of those patterns are, we're, we're kind of taking and pulling into, um, Marco run to, to some extent. Um, and we're going to be doing more on that front. Um, but I just wanted to call out that Dylan, um, before he joined eBay was like a progressive enhancement fanatic. So like, this is stuff that we are, um, thinking about. Uh, but I don't know, Dylan, if you want to
2: I, I yeah, think it would be I cool could, if you
5: just shared a little bit about what you were doing. Sure.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, um, sort of at the beginning of this, I was at a place where I was just hammering out tons and tons of websites and thinking about, um, you know, what the good parts of the web are, and that led me down to progressive enhancement and streaming and, like, a whole bunch of different things, but the one of the big push pushes for me at that time was I need to support old browsers. I need to support IE8, and I want to write modern JavaScript, like, that's why I have Node, right? Um, and so there's always this like tension of how could I progressively enhance the experience, and so that kind of pushed me down the model and you know all that stuff. But what I ended up doing was thinking, okay, the simplest way to make it so that an experience just works is to have it so that whatever HTML is rendered from the server, because I already knew we needed server I needed server-side rendering. Um, can just work. Like the things that you send to the browser should ultimately be a series of um, links and forms. Like what experience can you not represent with links and forms? Yes, there are some, but a lot of those even can be progressively enhanced to fall back onto links and forms. And so that was the simplest way I found to, um, uh, to basically do progressive enhancement. And so I ended up building a router that is very similar to Uh, The current version of Koa, um, if you've never heard of Koa, it's kind of like Express, um, except a little bit more uh, modern and promise-based and all that stuff. So I built this framework that was like Koa, except you could run it in the browser. Um, And it all used the exact same APIs. So, and it was only um, like 30 KB, which is actually quite expensive, or quite quite a lot. But there's like a lot of polyfills you had to send for things like promises and like all that sort of stuff. But anyway, so you had this essentially, mini-node server that you could send to the browser, and it would intercept link clicks and form submissions. And so what you could do is essentially server render an application, and then once the browser like, picked up, it would intercept all of these link clicks and form submissions and pipe them through the client-side router, which is essentially the same model that Remix has today. And actually, like, all the similar things you could think of, like loaders and patter, uh, actions and like, all these sort of things that you see in Remix, also exists in that framework that was built at the exact same time or just a little bit before React Router was made. Um, So that's kind of my foray into progressive enhancement. Um, And then that project is ultimately what led me to Marco when I was building integrations for uh, different frameworks.
7: I don't want to to... talk.
1: Yeah, I just pinned um, your FS Jam interview where we, we dove into a lot of this stuff. It was actually the, the very first question I asked you was about progressive enhancement and how it related to partial hydration and all that kind of stuff. So I would point people to, to that interview is actually one of my favorite interviews I've ever done on that show. So really, really proud of that one. Now that we've got uh, Ryan up here, actually, uh, I'd be curious for you to speak just a little bit about your history um, working on Marco and why you have referred to it as the most underrated JavaScript framework.
6: Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of crazy to me because I, I like to look at lots of solutions. Um, the whole way I approached building solid was looking at lots of solutions in the space. Um, so Marco was not on my radar at all. I was just... Uh, Hooks had recently come out, and I was like very hyped on the fact that people were switching back to primitives. So I was you know, just going along that thread, writing articles about signals and reactivity. um, When uh, Michael and Dylan actually were like, hey, you know, we're working on something that we think signals could help with. That's how I got actually got pulled in. We were thinking that Marco 6 would be based on something like signals. And it kind of is, but it's interesting. Um, Get to that in a second. But uh, what I did find, though, was, you know, we're, we're... they've been kind of like suggesting, you know, like there's different things that Marco needed to be aware of early, like those IDs and like um, stable IDs and like a few other things. Um, Marco has had like almost all the hype features of the last two years, Marco's had some version of for about eight years. Just because now everyone is like rediscovering the server. Marco, you know, technology changes over time and, you know, different availability. Marco like from the start was just like there. So like, is like the kind of questions we're asking right now, you know, uh, Patrick Steele was asking back in 2013 or 12 or whatever, he started working on this. Um, so like, I, I, I was honestly flabbergasted. I Even though I've been working the web for, you know, God, it was like 20 some odd years now. I like and I was aware of some older techniques, I, I didn't realize that JavaScript frameworks operated like this. I, it, was like, it was like finding this treasure trove. Uh, it's so funny because I had some conversations with other people afterwards, like even like Rich Harrison stealth and stuff, and, and it was like, hey, you know, he, he asked me, you know, why, why aren't people talking about Marco? And it was an interesting question um, to kind of think about. But beyond that, it was just so obvious what the value here is, um, both to use and for others to learn from. So like, yeah, I, I was very excited, um, especially uh, at that point where I was at, this was an opportunity to come actually work on a JavaScript framework full-time, work on open source full-time. And I basically jumped at the opportunity picking up my my life, my family, everything, moving down to San Jose right at the beginning of COVID. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah Mar- Marco has a lot in it to be excited about and the the work that I've done since um, just builds upon that foundation right like because here's the thing like I entered the team you know first couple of months and sorry if I'm like just catching up here for the whole rest of the you know podcast can I get my perspective on here and you know Michael and Dylan were the main guys present on that there's also the the other teams around the components and stuff and these these guys had already been thinking about the specific problem like evidently for several years like like marco six might have not really gone to full swing until about 2020 in terms of developing for it or like putting the plans but you could tell the roots of this go back to like 2017 time period and basically it's you know the challenge of having two developers supporting all of eBay um, is is a lot of work it's actually migrating uh, you know the hundreds and hundreds of apps over to, I guess, what was it, Marco Four at the time? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like the the there's been so much thinking and like design consideration that it's gone into almost every piece here. That yeah, I I mean, uh, this is why I <laughs> every time it comes up, I'm just like I kind of still in awe that when I talk to people and they're like, you know, they're like. You know, you make jokes, you know, like, the thing is, like, you never say, like, what the best average framework is. Everyone, you know, has their opinions. I always, like, give uh, Marco a free pass on that just because of <laughs> how far in this particular area they, the thinking has gone beyond where most other frameworks are, like, just kind of just dipping into. To be fair, the big, like, this has been a known thing for a while. The work that React's doing on RSCs started really back in 2016 uh, seven. Period, the work um, for quick started in you know 2019 time period. Um, so like the, there's a long tail to get to where we are today. But I just like I want to I want to say like this th- this is where I go to and this think tank when I really want to vet an idea of like like where things should be heading.
1: Yeah, this is why I think it's so important for web developers to study history and to understand the historical context of these different frameworks because you know like i came in you know like 2020 is when i really got serious about development so all all of that stuff you know predates me but i found that just by digging into like blog posts like there's like all these blog posts from ebay going back to even the creation of marco and they reference blog posts from like 2006 that they were taking influence from so you can learn so much just by digging into the history of these projects and, like, take a day off of whatever, like, the Twitter hype of the day. Is. Like, instead of arguing about Tailwind for six hours, maybe learn something useful, you know? So I, I really think that more people should study this framework. I think they would learn a lot doing so. Um, we have probably about another 15 minutes left, and we can go on if we need to, but I think we we'll probably start closing it out fairly soon. Do people have... Um, other things they want to talk about that are relevant to Marco or do other people in the audience have questions? And feel free, Dylan, Michael, Ryan, Luke, just hop in with anything on your minds. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I definitely will, uh,
2: echo the, um, looking at what has been done in the past. Cause there's so many things that if you just take a different look at it today or think about what the implications of it we're in today's context that you can do something that's like a huge improvement to the current status quo. And Marco is, is a lot of that, right? Like you mentioned the, um, pointing to articles from 2006, where people are looking into streaming and all that stuff. And actually, you know, even earlier than that, people were using streaming. So sometimes these old technologies with just a little bit of polish and a little bit of a modern, um, tinge on them can be hugely powerful.
5: I I feel like for the last, like, several decades, there's been, like, an article that gets, like, a lot of attention that's posted, like, every few years, like, every five, six, seven years, it's, like, the lost art of streaming. And it's, like. (laughs) Yeah. Every time we see stuff like that. It's funny how that keeps coming around. (laughs) It it might stick this time. It seems like it might stick this time.
6: Yeah, I mean. (laughs) Oh, I let Rango. Yeah, I was going to say the, the the 2005 article that I think uh it, it was uh or it was referring to was actually um, called the Lost Art of Progressive Rendering or Streaming. Like that was actually the yeah, name of the I'm, 2005 I'm article. Post all these. I've got them right here. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. I'm
1: just gonna
2: pin these up. The other thing. And like I said, I feel like it's underappreciated. I hope that um, eventually, especially once we get Marco Six out, that people will try just the Marco language. Like, ignore the performance aspects of it. Think about and look at the the DX and like, does it make it easier to author components? And I, I think once you get into it, the answer will be yes. I would still like to, and I did this or showed this off on Ryan's stream at one point. Have a way for you to use Marco's language that compiles to JSX so that you can like take advantage of some of the language features. I think you know, that would be cool to be able to be used in other, um, frameworks even, uh, because I mean, JSX, and this is a whole nother tangent, but like, there is a lot to be desired in this language that in my view, essentially just bootstrapped a bad version of XML onto JavaScript of the time, which didn't even yet have like template literals and stuff. So I have a low view of JSX. And I think if people were to try the Marco language that they would, uh, come to like a lot of its features. Um, I'd be actually curious, um, Luke or Ryan's take on that sp- particular uh, side of things, having most recently come from you know, React.
3: Yeah, I, I think what separates Marco language, or I think we're calling it HTML JS internally, uh, from JSX most is that for in JSX, the line between JavaScript and HTML is pretty clear you can tell where you're writing JavaScript and where you're writing HTML. And for Marco, its I wouldn't say it's a blurrier line, but it's more like you're, you're kind of writing both at the same time. And you, you always know which one you're writing in, but you don't have to worry about switching from HTML mode to JavaScript mode. It kind of just happens naturally where you know you want to switch already. Um, and that makes my authoring experience a lot easier because you're only taking, keeping track of one language instead of two.
2: Yeah. One other thing um, that I, that I point out is, uh, you know, we're also trying to look at everything from the language perspective in terms of like, how are people actually going to use this? How are people actually writing stuff? What is the pattern? What is the goal that they're actually trying to achieve? And so that's where we get like the optimization side of things, but also these like easy, easier refactors. One thing that I think is like, probably my favorite feature of Marco 6 is this concept we have of uh, controllable components which we don't have time to go into right now but all that is to say like there is a lot there just in the language don't feel like you know performance is the only thing we're competing on we're not necessarily like there's definitely two paths that we're trying to uh, fight on here which is you know obviously the performance because that's important for eBay's needs but Marco, from its inception, the goal was how can we have a good DX and a modern development experience, and so that's definitely one of our pillars as well.
6: The the language piece is actually very interesting because a part of it I feel is that people don't want to learn like a new syntax or something, or they they don't want to like derive get away from the standards. The problem is that. The standards as we know them today aren't holding up, like, and won't hold up. This, there's this is this, like, people, there, there's some fear and concern around compilation and about different syntaxes and whatnot. But the, the problem is that JavaScript has failed us at being a good language for representing UIs. It, it, it has. We wouldn't have hooks and hook rules. We wouldn't have the don't lose reactivity, you know, conditions, all this. If we weren't basically trying to, like, invent this sort of pseudo language on top of JavaScript. And some do better than others. But, like, every place that we do it, um, we hit... New challenges and problems. So, because like you might, the, svelte's kind of brought into our co- kind of common thinking that the language should look like J- JavaScript. But Svelte also doesn't have composition patterns as part of the compilation. If you want to use um, what are they call their their directives or actions or I can't remember what they call the the use colon thing. Well, you're writing that in plain JavaScript. You're not using Svelte lang. If you want to write a composable hook, you're using stores again JavaScript, not in Svelte lang. And the thing is. The problem here is that, you know, from an analysis standpoint, JavaScript is hard. It's like React going to come up with this forget compiler, but it's also going to have interesting behaviors and rules that don't actually reflect JavaScript. You might write something that looks like JavaScript, but it isn't actually JavaScript. And we're trying so hard to tie our hands to kind of keep in this familiarity zone that like there's a whole bunch of issues and trade offs to come down to that being that the language itself, the syntax, the semantics are not the best for designing UIs. So I think what Marco's doing is interesting in that it's saying, okay, well, screw that. I'm going to make a language specially to this purpose. So where I can tell that something is a stateful reactive variable for example and that i can mark that and that the system knows this and that the language can basically do its job without having a mind reader of an ai trying to figure out how to compile your your stuff like this this is this is the the the, the problem we face today with frameworks it's it is a language problem so a language solution seems like it might be the way
2: yeah i would just add like you know, a lot of other solutions will basically abuse, and I'm kind of picking on Spelt a little bit. Abuse uh, different JavaScript language features to mean something else. Um, but if you're going to say that a feature means something else, well, what what does that mean for other tooling that's going to be working with that particular feature? Does it like does that abstraction leak in terms of, you know, auto completions in terms of, uh, you know, what variables <laughs> it says are available? Um, or what uh, the narrowing has, what narrowing TypeScript has done, like all these sort of things, the abstraction can leak depending on the wh- like how you're abusing or using JavaScript's syntax. Or on the other side, like on the solid side, like if you're sure you're using regular JavaScript syntax, but the semantics of how your components run is more restrictive than what the JavaScript syntax can represent. And so something like TypeScript on top of it won't necessarily be able to provide you the like ideal... Um, editing experience, unless, you know, TypeScript goes and adds like specific support for um, specific frameworks, which I guess they're um, all for doing. But uh,
6: (laughs) if your framework's name starts with an R and ends with a T.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you're that framework, then you don't have to worry. But otherwise, um, if your framework is doing something where, you know, if the IntelliSense could know just this one little fact about your framework, all of a sudden, uh, the types get better and like all that sort of stuff. Like that's really hard to do if the thing that you're augmenting or working with is JavaScript as an API for describing your, your UIs. But since, you know, we're building it a level on top of that, we get to decide, you know, what the meaning of a variable that's provided to you from Marco is and what the meaning of like the body content is, how things get error. Like we have control over that, which is a lot of work to be clear. It's, it's a
5: lot of work. And I, I do want to shout out that like Dylan has done a, a great job over the past uh, several months by uh, getting our, our tooling into a, a good place um, because there's a lot that has to happen in designing your own language. Um, and I totally understand why most other frameworks have not gone down this route because it, it is a lot of work. Um, but I think Dylan yeah, done a really good job um, and the rest of the team. I mean, it has been a collaboration, but Dylan's definitely been leading it. Um, and and getting the the tooling into a, a really really good place where it feels like you're not giving up um, you know anything at, by using this what what is essentially a custom DSL.
2: Yeah, and I'll just you know add even though it is a lot of work, sometimes some DX wins, some new features, some APIs like they do require a lot of work, but that doesn't mean that they're not um, useful or. Uh, you know, once you have them, it's like, "Wow, how did I do anything without this? Like we lived in a world without Typescript forever. Um, and I'm not saying Typescript I still is perfect, do, but like <laughs> yeah, but you you do live in a world with vs code giving you at least JavaScript completions. Um, so like, you know, back when I first started writing JavaScript, there was none of that, right? So it was very much like remember the application in my mind anyway, so all that is to say is the tooling that went into even just those like auto completions and stuff like that um is immense but it's like now we can't live without it right and so even though we're putting in a lot of work into this um language it might be like well why not why why not just use jsx it's like well you know there's some things that jsx can't represent and we could make better tooling if we just like throw out the underlying issue which is this sort of limited dsl that's built into javascript and so you know it yeah it's a lot of work but i think it's a it's also fairly fruitful
6: um anyways sort of making a long-term bet here that's that's the way that I look at this because the the funny thing is if if you believe this is an inevitable conclusion all the steps that we're doing right now are sort of intermediate steps along that path um so to speak so the final result might end up being different if you you know people go different paths to it but it's interesting to me at least that um that's like you know we could talk about you know marco six taking a while it taking a while has so little impact on how like current how um modern how powerful it's going to feel when it comes out because at the point that this comes out from at least like a broad technology standpoint, um, it's, it's like the other stuff will have not caught up. So like like even even if it takes longer, which don't, but I'm just saying if it did, that that part isn't a concern because it's kind of been the sort of long shot leap stepping a couple steps along the way. Because, I mean, it depends. If you think that is the inevitable future, then um, this is a probably a really smart bet to make.
2: Yeah, and at least for the types of things that we're you know building at eBay and the experiences we see and the way that the um, application as a whole is architectured, it seems like the safest bet for us is to account for the fact that we're going to want to send ridiculous amounts of JavaScript to the browser and make tooling that makes it hard to do that or impossible to do that um, and maintains the DX. So at least that's our bet on the on the performance side. And you know, obviously there's a whole bunch of different facets of it, like the bundling, the rendering, and Serialization and, and all that stuff. But um, yeah, so it's definitely, you know, sort of where we see the future going. And a lot of tooling is looking into that right now. I was like super happy when Astro was released and looked at partial hydration. Like, pretty much no other framework picked that up or took it seriously. You know, obviously, React server components are like semi, semi like that's another one. Yeah. Although, that I mean,
1: there, died, there's I definitely
2: some, but it's like it, it was few and far between for what is a very conceptually simple optimization that I think makes sense for the vast majority of sites that people are building, right? Um, You know, like, if you're doing server rendering at all, and you're fine with your page, you know, having a multi-page app, why are you sending your entire application to the browser? You've already said the server can do some amount of the work, and the browser just needs to do these, like, you know, little updates here and there sort of thing. So it's like, such a low-hanging fruit optimization that we were only seeing somewhat recently. And then obviously, you know, we're taking that, like, core idea to the extreme and saying, well, let's just not, let's not do, like, individual top-level islands or whatever. Let's actually figure out what the real JavaScript that needs to be sent to the browser and only that JavaScript so that we can get closer to the actual, like, best performance you can have in the web, which is an inline script that, you know, does exactly what you want it to do. Right. So that's what philosophically we're trying to go towards, not so that Marco six gets there, but it's definitely way closer to that than any other than anything else that exists right now.
1: Yep, chasing that dream. Well, I hope to see Marco six sometime this decade. I'm holding out. Yeah, this
2: this decade for sure.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for being here. It was a super great conversation. Um, I really encourage everyone in the audience to follow these guys. They are super cool devs. And I have pinned a whole bunch of tweets up top. Um, One for Marco Run is up there right now. That's kind of the newest, hottest thing you've got that people can try out. And then where should people go if they want to get involved with the community? Definitely check out our Discord
2: or Go to the marcojs.com website, which has a link to our um, Discord. That's where all of us hang out. Discord.gg
5: slash Marco.
1: Uh, oh, yeah. There you go. Michael's got it. Awesome. Well, any other parting words for our guests or our audience? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, th-
2: the big thing for me is look at the web as a, like, what unique What's unique about the web compared to every other platform? And to know that, you have to look at its history. You have to think about things like progressive enhancement. Like, try not to get a surface-level, one-frame perspective on everything. I think if you expand your horizons, you'll become a better dev and you know deliver more delightful user experiences.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, thank everyone for joining us and we'll be doing this same time next week, Wednesday, 12 PM Pacific. And yeah, as we get closer to uh, react Miami, we're going to be talking with some people who are speaking there. We've got one lined up with Henri in a couple weeks, weeks. That'll be fun, but yeah. um, Love to see you all next week and that'll close that for us. Thanks for having us on.
0: Yeah, for sure. Thanks for being here. Bye, everyone.